Um, and I also have the honor of introducing our faith story this week. Uh, would you guys welcome up Marty O'Neill? I'm on the backside of COVID, so please excuse me if I have to stop and cough a little bit now and then. I came to the Lord in the fall of 1987, and in the spring of 1988, I bought a motorcycle. I had been riding mini bikes and dirt bikes since I was a kid, but that was my first real road-going motorcycle. That summer, I became aware of the Christian Motorcyclist Association, known as CMA. And to put it in concise terms, their purpose is to go to bikers and tell them about Jesus. And as I became familiar with the group, I wondered if this ministry would be a good fit for me. Christianity and bikes, why not? In July of 1989... I attended a CMA state rally where Christians and other bikers from all over the Midwest came together to camp and worship and hang out and, and be with other like-minded riders. And there were rides and bike games and meals and chatting and morning and evening worship services, with the culmination of the weekend being the big Saturday night service, and it was uh, on a hot, muggy central Illinois night. And the stage was two flatbed semi-trailers pushed together with a place for the worship band and for the preacher to preach. And at the end of his sermon, he held an altar call for those people who were ready to accept Jesus as your Savior. Now, by this weekend, by this point in the weekend, I had spent plenty of time considering the ministry, and it looked good. Ride motorcycles with Christian bikers, travel, camp, and share the Lord. And if it was for the Lord, Pam would surely understand if I was away from her and the kids a lot on weekends. <laughs> She's making a face. However, after being around these bikers who were more, much more mature Christians than I and hearing their stories, I began to question my own salvation. Then the pastor said, if you're unsure or just have questions, come forward and bring them to the Lord. And I did just that. I went forward with dozens of other people to the foot of the stage with two questions. Was I really saved, and was this the ministry for me? Rarely have I received such an immediate and definite answer to prayer. I had the physical sensation of a bucket of warm water being poured over my head, and I knew with absolute certainty the answer to both questions. Yes, I was saved, and no, this was not the ministry for me. My ministry is at home with my wife and kids. So I went home to work on this ministry. And with this in mind, it certainly affected our, our marriage in many, many positive ways. But since this story was originally to be shared on Father's Day, I'm going to focus on how it affected uh, myself and our kids. And at that time, I was farming, and many of you know that's a very demanding career that requires a lot of time and commitment. But I made an effort to be home even when work was not yet finished to have time to play catch in the front yard with Matthew or to push Katie on the swing, to watch Disney movies with them on rainy afternoons, to make time for family vacations in the Dells or camping in the Rockies. It meant bringing home big cardboard boxes that were turned into forts and playhouses and trucks and castles and rocket ships. We'd play stairball, a game we invented. One of the kids would be at the top of the stairs bouncing a ball down the top for us to catch, in return. There was no keeping score with stair balls since there were no points. 
but there was time to visit. And we, while we had no big discussions about the meaning of life or anything like that, we just spent time together. And time is the most precious thing you can give your kids. And I also made sure they caught me reading my Bible and praying, witness by example. It meant from time to time I couldn't be their best friend because sometimes they required discipline and correction. Being human, there were times I lost my temper and was too harsh or said things that were uncalled for. At times like this, I learned to ask their forgiveness. It's a humbling thing to do to set your pride aside and ask your children for forgiveness for something you've done wrong. Teach by example. Where did that take us? Our son Matthew was something of a prodigal during his high school years, not unlike his father. So he, when he got to college, he came to a fork in the road. He had two choices. He could go with a party crowd or he'd go with a Christian crowd. He chose the latter, joining the campus Students for Christ, SCS. There he made friends, studied the Bible, worshipped, and had his own ministry, parking lot auto repair, helping other students with their old junky cars. After college, he and his wife spent time working at the Youth for Life Ranch in Vero Beach, Florida. Later, they were foster parents for three infants. Our daughter, Katie, was a Christ follower from a young age with a gift for singing. She attended a Christian college majoring in contemporary Christian music. And as it happened, she changed majors to urban cross-cultural ministry. Living in Nashville after she graduated with her husband, they worked, or she worked on singing Christian music while also trying to get a secular music career off the ground. She, too, came to a fork in the road. She chose Christian, the Christian music path, with both she and her husband writing, recording, and performing for churches, retreats, and other events. Later, she served as a worship arts pastor on the startup team for a United Methodist Church plant in Bloomington, Illinois. While it was not their intention, the church evolved into a place that has a passion for those who have been hurt or abandoned by the by the church. She's currently on another startup team for another United Methodist Church, this one in St. Paul, again serving as worship arts director, and this church too shares the same passion. Both of our kids now have kids, and if you go to their homes, you'll find cardboard box rocket ships, blanket forts, and stairball is still played. In Matthews, they have an old baby bed mattress, which is used for sliding down the stairs like a slit. <laughs> At Katie's, the kids play, the floor is lava on the furniture, and have rowdy dance parties. The houses may be a bit disheveled and the furniture gets jumped on, but the kids know it's a safe place and they are loved. After all, furniture is replaceable, children are not. So in short, both our children are Christians, who married Christians, and are raising their kids to be Christians. Train up children in the way they should go, and they will not depart from it. My ministry started with my wife and kids and now is extended to our grandkids. In a couple of weeks, we'll be traveling to central Illinois, pick up our 13-year-old grandson to spend a week with us. I FaceTime with our three-year-old granddaughter, granddaughter reading her books. Recently, I had three books to read, but after two, she broke in and asked, want to watch me swing? Of course, Lucy, I'd love to watch you swing. And then there's two seven-year-olds that love to swim and talk about Pokemon and run and laugh. In fact, Katie and our family, her family, are with us here today. I answered God's call in other ways in that, after that, too. Poured myself into a youth ministry and a leadership team, and we spent 15 years leading mission trips to the Amazon. But 
my wife and kids, and now grandkids, are still my first ministry. My name is Marty O'Neill, and this is my story. What a great testimony. And it, I love testimonies that show that you do not need to have a fancy title. You don't need to have anything to, to work for God's kingdom. Sometimes it's exactly where he's already placed you that you have the most influence. And just simply being obedient where you are will change the world. And I love that. So thank you. And would you guys pray with me before we go into the message? Lord, I pray that these are your words this morning. I thank you that we are able to come together, Lord, that, that on, on this day before the 4th of July, we, we do have the freedom to come and worship together, and, and we we're grateful for that, Lord. We don't take that for granted, Lord, that there are Christians right now who are not able to do this. And so, Lord, I, I pray that, that we take full advantage of this this privilege of coming together. And I pray that this is your word, that everybody that you brought here hears what you brought them to hear, Lord, that we're changed, that this is accurate to who you are. We pray this in your name. Amen. So we've been going through Colossians, and we're getting close to the end now. And so to do a quick recap of last week, we talked about peace, this elusive thing that very few of us have, and how We've been called to peace. It's not just an option. It's a holy calling that as Christians, it's been put on our lives. But we're not just called to have it. We're called to actually let peace rule, to, to be able to call the shots in our life. And when we do that, we make good decisions. Life tends to go better. We, we tend to have less of those, oh no, what did I just do moments when peace is what's calling the shots. And then we ask kind of, what do you do if you don't have peace? What do you do if you're like, I, I don't have any peace? It starts with gratitude. That's what Paul says, be thankful. And so we, we kind of challenged ourselves to find the good in everything because that's what starts to usher that peace into our life that we can then let rule in our life. So we're going to move on to the next chunk of verses here. And this is Colossians chapter 3. These are verses 18 through 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Now this is strange because it feels like it takes just an abrupt turn. We're talking about the body of Christ. We're talking about being part of the church. We're talking about uh, peace. And then all of a sudden we take a sharp turn into the family unit, which seems interesting, but it really does make sense because what you know, what you start to see is that really the church is just a bunch of families coming together. Do you guys know that? Like, that's what the church is. It's, it's a bunch of families coming together. So really, the church is families. That's families make up the church. Now, I want to address right away, some of you, when I read this verse, may have gotten a little defensive right away. And like, I'm kind of looking for the door. I don't want to hear someone preach on this. Some of you might be the opposite. Be like, yeah, preach it. And I would say, this is a verse that unfortunately 
I have heard misused in my life. And I have heard it used to take value away from someone or, or to take certain people and tell them they're not worth as much as other people. And we have to address that right away, that that's not biblical. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. In fact, just a few verses back in Colossians, we actually preached on just a few weeks ago. It says, therefore, there is no slave or free. There is no Jew or Gentile. Everybody is the same in Christ. And Paul says this again in Galatians. This is chapter 3, verse 28, where he specifically talks about male and female. He says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so this is where it can get confusing because you might be saying he's contradicting himself. And as a side note, one thing I'll say is if the Bible ever seems like it's contradicting itself, it's easy to get really freaked out and scared. But I will actually say be excited because the biggest truths, kind of the biggest epiphany light bulb moments will usually come if you, if you dive into that and really pray on what the Bible is saying. But the one thing that we see all throughout the Bible is that as Christians, we are all one. We all have the same value. No one is worth more than anyone else. I, as a pastor, have no more value than any of you have. It's just a different place that we're in. It's a different calling that we're in. But if you are someone who has unfortunately had this verse used to tell you that you're not worth as much as someone else, I, I'm sorry. And, and I don't believe that that's what the Bible teaches us. This verse is not to be used to tell one person they're worth less than somebody else. The other thing I want to say is, if you read this, what's really interesting is, is when Paul wrote this letter, what it was written for is basically to be given to the church for someone to take this letter and read it to the church as instructions. So, so the, the, it, was, it was to try to tell each person what they should be doing different. And if you notice when you read it, when he talks to husbands, he talks to what they should be doing. When he talks to wives, he talks about what they should be doing. Notice he doesn't say, husbands, make sure your wives respect you. He says, no, husbands love your wives. He doesn't say, wives, make sure your husbands love you. He says, no, wives, respect your husband. He doesn't say, children, make sure your parents are nice to you. It says, no, children, obey your parents. And what we have to understand is that this is not to be used to make someone else do something. This, the original intent was, I'm talking to each one of you, and I've got an instruction for each one of you. If you're a husband here today, your takeaway should not be what you're going to tell your wife when she goes home. Your takeaway should be what you are being asked to do. And wives, it's the same thing. And children, the same thing. And, and this is where this verse is one of those verses that as I even read it, you can tell it has been hurtful for some people. But there are some really important concepts in this verse that we cannot glide over because it is important for us to understand these things. And here's the first thing we have to understand in Colossians chapter 3 is number one, God does have a design. He has a design for the family unit. It's not an accident. Everything that God makes, he makes with a design. If you look at nature, if you look at anything God has created, it's not just an accident. It's not just I'll slap some things together 
and see how it works. Whether it's the family unit, whether it's the church, whether it's you as a person, the first understanding, the first truth we need to have is that there is a design on purpose for everything that God makes. And God made the family, and so there is a design to it. But I think this goes to even a deeper level that I think for a lot of us, it's easy to even look at ourselves and, and think it's just an accident. I'm just, I'm just thrown together, right? All of, my, all of my personality, all of my quirks is just something that was thrown together. So if, if I don't really have a design, if I don't really have a purpose, then why should the family unit really have a purpose when we're all just thrown together? But it's so easy to look at the world and see that everything that God makes, he makes with the design. There's a way that it works that he designed it for. This is Psalm chapter 139, verse 14. It says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. If we're honest, how many of us look at the mirror and actually say that to ourselves? I'm wonderfully made. And when I see the work of your hands, God, even when it's in me, I say, what a wondrous work. And when it comes to even the family unit, which is what, what Paul is addressing here, but really in anything, until we understand that God's design is beautiful, it's wonderful. He did it on purpose. He did it for our good. And that there is beauty inside of what God has designed. Until we do that, it's just going to feel like rules. And we as people don't like to follow rules, do we? Or is it just me? I don't like to follow rules. I tend to be rebellious. If someone just says, don't do this, and I say, why? And they're like, just because I don't like that. You have to understand the why. And, and, and starting with understanding that God, when he designs something, he makes it beautifully. It's wonderful when we actually let things operate in the design that God has for it. Even the family unit has a specific design that God made for it. Even Jesus, when he came to earth, submitted to the will of the Father. I don't know if you guys catch that when you see his life, when they're like, hey, Jesus, what are you doing? He goes, I submit to my Father. He was showing us that even Jesus, even the perfect human being, submitted to the, the design of God. Even the Trinity that we look at, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, shows us that there is beauty in the design of God. And so it has to start with not doing this as a rule, not saying, I got to love my wife because I got to, right? I'm lucky. I have a wife that I just, I want to love anyways, right? It's our anniversary, by the way. So wish Leslie a happy anniversary. Yes, I got off track. I'm a, I got to get back on track. I got to get back on track. But you can't just be like, all right, I got to respect my husband because I was told to. It's understanding that, God has created this design for a family that's beautiful. And those of you who know it, being in a family is one of the most amazing things. Having family is so amazing. And to start to understand the beauty of the design. And so I want to, I want to in my life, honor this design that God has made because it's beautiful and it's wonderful and it's such a privilege that I get to live in the beauty of this design of God. And so that's the first thing we have to understand is the family unit, it's not an accident. It's something that God has created on purpose and it's beautiful. But then we have to be real with number two. 
It's easy to not like our place in the design. It's common. In fact, most of us, that's the one thing we have in common is that no matter where you find yourself in God's design, and whether it's in the family, whether it's at church, whether it's in your workplace, whether it's in society as a whole, the one thing almost all of us have in common is we don't like the place that we currently are in, in that design. It's like a natural function of us to look at someone else that has maybe a different place in God's design and think they got the good assignment. They got the good position. I don't like where I'm at. I don't like the place that I find myself in the design. And whether it's in the family unit or at church or wherever, this is one of those things that's so easy to do. It's so easy to look at at the different positions someone else might have or a different place in the design and say, man, I wish, I wish I had that one. I don't like where I'm at right now. I don't like what I'm supposed to be doing right now. I wish I had a different assignment. And I even look back at, I remember when, when Les and I first got married, we were living off of 20000 a year between the two of us. We had, we had a, a, an apartment that had one door in it. It was to the bathroom. That was the only door in the whole place. And I remember just thinking, I can't wait until we are at this place. You look around, I can't wait until we can, we can be in a different position in, in God's design. And over time, God has blessed us immensely, but we still look back at that and we're like, man, I don't, we didn't enjoy it as much as we could have because we have fond memories of that. But when you're in that moment, it's always easy to look at someone who has a different place and say they have it better. And even in the family unit, it's easy to look at each other and say, man, I don't like the assignment I have. I, I don't like that. I don't like my instruction. I would rather have someone else's. I mean, think about it. Children, what can they not wait to do? Get out of the house. I can't wait to get out of the house. I can't wait until I don't have to follow your rules anymore, right? But then it happens and they think, oh, it was really nice having food all the time. And it was really nice not having to pay bills. It was really nice. It's one of those things where no matter where you find yourself in the family unit, it's like easy to just feel like you got the bad end of the deal with it. And I think we all can fall into that. And it's really dangerous. That thinking of I got the bad place in God's design is really, really dangerous because it can, it can lead to you losing really important things, things that maybe you won't even understand how beautiful they are until you've lost them. So the Israelites in the Old Testament had a great place in God's design. They were God's chosen people, meaning they didn't have a king. As a nation, God was their king. He wanted to. He's like, I'm going to lead you. Now, you guys know you're not going to find a better king than God, Right? That's the best king that there could possibly be. But the Israelites looked around and they saw that other people had a king. And they thought, oh, I think maybe we got the bad end of the deal here. I think maybe our position isn't the good one. Because if I look at it, those people's kings, it's a, it's a, it's a physical person who can go out in front of us and fight our battles for us. And, and that's better. And, and th think of the, the audacity of that being like, your place in God's design is his chosen people who, who had God himself as their king. And yet this tendency of us to go, yeah, I think we got the bad end of the deal. I think, I think everyone else has it better than us. I think their position in God's design is better would lead you them to saying this. This is 1 Samuel chapter 8, 
verses 19 and 20. It says, but the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. And if you know the end of the story, that didn't go very good for the Israelites. They spent generations having to live with what they lost because they were so focused on how everybody else had a better place in God's design, even though they were God's chosen people. And the reason I tell you the story is, is whether it's in your family unit, whether it's in your workplace, whether it's in society as a whole, whether it's at the church, if you fall into that trap of, I don't like my place in God's design. Someone else has it better than me. Someone else, I would like it better to have their assignment. Oftentimes we lose something unbelievably important that we don't realize until it's too late. And that's the last thing that, that I want us to look at today is, so number one, God does have a design. Whether it's the family system or, or anything that God creates, there's a design. Number two, it's easy to not like your place in that design. That's, that's kind of common. But number three is no matter the place, we can honor God. So no matter where you're at, whether you find yourself in a position you like or you don't, whether you have a fancy title or you don't, whether your assignment is glamorous or humbling, you can honor God in that place. Most of you know the story of Joseph, and I think it's the ultimate story of not liking your current position in God's design. So as a quick recap, Joseph was his dad's favorite. He was spoiled a little bit. And he had dreams that he was going to rule over all of his brothers. He was going to be a leader. And he told his brothers that, and not surprisingly, they were not a fan of that dream. And they ended up almost killing him and selling him into slavery. And he found himself a slave in a country where he probably didn't even speak the language when he got there. And I think it'd be easy for us to say that's not a very good place to be in God's design of being a slave in a country that, that you don't even know. But the word of God says he honored God with it. Even in that position, he honored God with how he lived his life. And he got rewarded for that by being falsely accused and thrown into prison. He got even a worse place in the design. For most of us, that's where we would say, all right, enough of this. I honored you once and things got worse, so now I'm done. But it says Joseph kept honoring God with where he was. So even in prison, he was honoring God. Even in that position, you'd be like, what can I do in prison? What can I do in prison that would honor God? And yet he did. He just used what God gave him and honored God. And eventually his position changed. And he was second in command of all of Egypt, which is arguably the most powerful country in the world at this time. There was only one person who had more power than him. And listen to what Pharaoh said about Joseph. This is Genesis chapter 41, verse 38. It says, So Pharaoh asked them, Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the, in the Spirit of God? One in whom is the Spirit of God. So as a prisoner, Joseph was able to honor God so much that the most powerful man, arguably, in the world said, no one else is like this person. 
God is with this person more than anyone else. So if Joseph can, as a prisoner and a slave, honor God that much, no matter where we find ourselves in God's design, we have the ability to honor God right now. And what's fun is that's really what success is. As a Christian, success is the ability to honor God with our life. And so no matter where you're at right now, you can honor God with the position that you're in. See, Joseph's reality changed, not by him trying to improve his placement, but by him choosing to honor God wherever he found himself. So here, here's how I want to wrap all this up today to make it really clear. Number one, God does have a design for you, for the family, for the church, for society, all of those things. He created those things on purpose and there's a way that it works that is beautiful and wonderful. Number two, you're probably, at least on some days, not going to like your place in that design. You're going to wish that you had a different place or at least your assignment in it you're not going to be super into. But it's in following God's design that we honor him. And that's ultimately just what success is as a Christian, is honoring God with our lives. And even in the family unit, simply by following God's design, we're able to honor him. And that changes our lives. And that's when you start to see the beauty of his design. But it starts with truly, from, from who we are, looking in the mirror saying, I am designed beautifully and wonderfully. And my family is designed beautifully and wonderfully. And the church is designed beautifully and wonderfully and going on it so that as we do this, we do it to honor God. So if you'll stand this morning, I'm going to pray and I'm going I'm to close us out. Lord, I thank you for your design. God, I thank you that none of this is an accident, Lord, that, that what you create, you create beautifully. You create on purpose. And, and Lord, when we conform ourselves to how you have made things, that we get to experience the beauty and the wonder of the works of your hands. And so, Lord, I pray that for each of us, we take this instruction to heart, Lord God. We don't take it to put anyone else down, but for us to really look in the mirror and, and as husbands asking, am I loving my wife? Because that's God's design for my family. And as wives, am I respecting my husband? Because that's God's design. And, and for children, am I obeying my parents? Because that's God's design for the family. And Lord, I pray that for each of us, we do it not just to follow the rules, but because we see the beauty of the work of your hands. And we trust you and we trust how you make things. And so, Lord, I pray that for the rest of this week, this kind of just carries with us, Lord, that, that we're able to walk in this, that, that everything we do, we do not just because we're supposed to or not just to make people happy, but because we want to honor you with how we live our lives. So, Lord, I pray safety over, over this evening, over festivities. I pray no one would blow off any fingers, Lord God. And I pray that you just keep everybody safe. And we pray this in your name. Amen.